How you doing, Grace Point? Awesome. Man, it's, it's been a while since I've been up here, so I feel like i got to reintroduce myself. Uh, my name is AJ, and I serve down at our Tiffin campus uh, as the assistant pastor. Um, that just includes pretty much student ministry, um, and then really anything else that uh, my lead pastor, Zach Pinkerton, he tells me to do, all right? And so, yeah, that's, that's how it works when you're an assistant, all right? Um, but hey, wanted to say this real quick. Pastor Harold, he asked me to speak today uh, due to his mom passing away uh, just past couple weeks here. They had the funeral on this past Thursday. And so they're uh, back in, I believe, Chicago with his family. And uh, if you can, just be praying for them. Pastor Harold, obviously, keep in your prayers and keep the birga. Uh, just the whole entire family, again, in your prayers. And we're thankful for heaven, right? Um, man, Pastor Harold, you know, that's not even a, a doubt in his mind, and got to talk to him about that. And so if you can, just continue to pray for him. And uh, again, just, uh, again, just keep praying for him, and maybe send him a text of encouragement or something. So, um, and he and the Pastor Harold in the past couple months has really shared with me some really cool things that God is doing here in our staff meetings and stuff. And like last time I was here, probably a year and a half ago, um, at that point, you guys were only like doing one service. And so my Pastor Harold said you guys went from one service to two. He shares me multiple people that have given life to Christ, baptized, joined the church, not just growing numerically, but growing deeper in your relationship with God. And so I just want to pause real quick and say, awesome job, man. Keep at it. You're not only making an impact in Northwood, but also in, in Northwest Ohio. So keep doing what you guys are doing. This morning, we're going to jump back into our series, In God We Trust. And Pastor Harold, if you guys were here last week, you remembered, and we're just going to recap real briefly what he talked about. He talked about really two things, and that was, as believers, why we should vote, and then also as believers, how we should vote. And really he focused around, on, when he was talking about like giving us the reason why we should vote, he talked about how as, as believers we are the salt and we are the light of the world. And so with that being said, man, we need to, we need to, to go into darkness, right? We need to be the light. We need to share Jesus with other people. We need to live out our faith. And that, does, that doesn't just include in our conversations, Right, that doesn't just include our actions, but it also includes voting, right? And letting the light shine through on what the Bible teaches on some of these issues. Right? And some of those things he talked about, really the three, I believe the most important topics that he mentioned last week was how the Bible stands for life and preserving life. And so as believers, we should line up with that, right? Whether it's in our actions, whether it's in voting. He talked about and, and how we should define what biblical marriage is and we should stand for what biblical marriage is and we should again support that when we vote, support law and order. And we looked at Romans, he mentioned Romans 13 last week and how, man, the, the whole idea of law and order is actually God's idea. Based on those things, man, it should influence how we teach. These are all, we, we get this, right? These are all hot button issues in our culture. I mean, these are, these are things right now, those three, and, and probably a list of other things, right, are just right now more than ever are being attacked, and there's so much division in our country over these three issues, and again, a few other ones. But we have to do what the Bible teaches us to do as believers. We have to teach, we, or we have to line up with what the Bible says. Regardless of what our culture says, we stand for truth and what the Bible says teaches. Pastor Harold ended the message last week by saying this, our motivation should be that you, that we as a church, we exalt a nation so people see God, 
right? So people, when they see the outcome, again, how we vote or whatever, right, that they see God in supporting life. They, they see God in how we support a nuclear family between a man and a woman, right? We see, they see God in other hot button issues in our culture. And again, God is exalted, we're going to go back into some more political things this week, all right, in our series in God We Trust. And we're going to be looking at our response to what Benjamin Franklin said was certain in life, okay? And I'm sure we all know what this is. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to say the first, and I want you guys to say the second one, okay? Benjamin Franklin said you can always count on these two things in life. The first one is death. The second one is he meant He should have said Jesus, right? I mean, he should have said Jesus there, but he said, that's right, he said taxes. And it's actually interesting that Jesus, he's actually asked a question in a roundabout way about a tax. It was a a controversial political question. But Jesus, he gives us an answer, and then he tells us really the right response we should have to politics, and really not just to politics, but to every single thing in life that we're faced with. See, the, the question really, it, it was this, really, whether it was right to pay a certain tax to Caesar or not. But if you understand the context, and I'm sure we will after looking at this today, you're going to find out that this question that was asked, it was way more political than just a simple question about taxes. It was way more political than that. See, the question that they're going to be asking, it's, it's not just about taxes in general, all right? There were many people that paid taxes on goods, and, and that was fine, But the specific tax he's talking about, they're going to be talking about, it was a political power keg in that culture. It was actually a head or a pull tax. This is kind of how this thing worked. It was a tax that was put on people for really for the privilege of being a subject of Rome. And so the Romans, they would come into a place and they would conquer a, a country. And everyone that was in that country then had to pay a day's wage, which we'll talk about that in a little bit, but had to pay a certain amount to the Roman government as part of being, hey, you are now under the subject of Rome. Like it was a good thing that you just came in and got conquered, all right? So no, not necessarily, right? It was not a good thing, but that's how they viewed it. When it was this, this poll tax came out, it was originally levied 25 years earlier than Matthew 22, which is where we'll be today, and Jesus' response to it. And there was an armed revolt that was led by a Jewish man named Judas the Galilean. Not Judas Iscariot, okay, someone different, but Judas the Galilean. And it wasn't an expensive tax, it was just a day's wage, but it had huge symbolism. John MacArthur said this about it. He said, maybe because to the Jews, they viewed themselves as personally belonging to God, and by paying this tax, it meant that they now belong to Caesar. This man, Judas the Galilean, that led this revolt, he did three things. He called on all Jewish people to refuse this poll tax. He then threw out all the foreigners to cleanse the temple, And then he declared that God would be their king and not Caesar. Judas the Galilean, he started a movement that was called the Zealots, right? And it was still going on in Matthew 22, which is, again, where we'll be this morning. It was still going on at this time. Israel, they were waiting for this Messiah that the Old Testament had prophesied. And and many people, they thought that maybe that this this Judas the Galilean, that maybe he was going to lead these people to this revolt and he was going to overthrow the Roman rule. And now we come to 25 years later, Jesus, he keeps teaching about this kingdom of God. It's going to come to earth. This is probably, it's put the Roman people on edge because, man, it sounded so similar 
to what Judas the Galilean was talking, it was teaching about just recently. More and more people, they believe that this Jesus, he is the Messiah. And now it's the week of his crucifixion. In fact, a lot of people think that this story happened on Tuesday of that week. So just in a few short days, Jesus, he's going to be crucified. There's a lot going on. Again, week of his crucifixion. Jesus, he's just drove out all the money changers from the temple. He's cleansed the temple. I mean, tensions were rising between people. And two different factions, two different groups come to Jesus and they ask about this tax. The Herodians and the Pharisees. So we'll talk about the Pharisees just for a second. If you don't know who they are, the Pharisees, they were an influential religious uh, sect with Judaism in the time of Christ and in the early church. They were really known for their emphasis on personal piety, relying on keeping a set of rules or standards or laws to be right with God. You follow the law, you're right with God. But they had no desire for following Jesus. And then the other side, you have the Herodians, right? The Herodians were Jewish people that essentially followed Herod, okay? Just like we're Christians and we follow Christ, right? Herodians were followers of Herod. And so they submitted to his rule. They followed his rule, whatever that might be. They supported, uh, again, his family, the Roman Empire, and all that. So the Pharisees and Herodians, they come to Jesus in Matthew 22 for this question, to ask this question to see what they will say. Now, the, the weird thing about it is this. These two people, these two groups of people, would have never normally been together. I mean, they never would have agreed on anything, nothing with religion, faith, politics. I mean, nothing. You would never see these two groups of people sitting down at a table peacefully. They would be arguing the entire time. But it's interesting that they come together with a question. Now, I want you to notice this. Mark 3, 6, it tells us what they were about. Why did they come together? Immediately the Pharisees went out and started uh, plotting with the Herodians against him being Jesus. And notice this, they had one common goal together, how they might kill him. It's really simple. They just wanted to take Jesus down. They wanted to take him down. They wanted to come together, right? There was one thing they could agree on and they wanted to take Jesus out. So the political question, it's this, Matthew 22, 15 to 17. Then the Pharisees, they went and they plotted how to trap him by what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's interesting. The Pharisees, they send their disciples with the Herodians. Why? Because everyone already knew that the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus, right? They had already, they were already mischievous. They were already trying to deceive him, right? So what do they do? They go get disciples, which there's some commentators that actually, that actually say, or they believe that they hired people to do this. Like they, they weren't even, they were just random people that they grabbed and said, hey, go and let's, let's get together and take Jesus down. It's interesting, before they ask the question, what do they do? They like try to flatter Jesus, right? They try to flatter him. See, in verse 15, they were just trying to trap Jesus is all they were trying to do. 
See, if Jesus, if he says, no, don't pay the tax, the people would see him as calling for an armed revolt and he would be attacked by Rome. But if Jesus says, yes, go ahead and pay the tax, then everyone who's been hearing him preach about the kingdom of God will think he's just blowing smoke. And why would they think he's just blowing smoke? Is because when you read the Bible through the lens of our Western, our Western culture, you know, our filter, we hear kingdom of God and we think of it solely as something that's spiritual. We completely spiritualize it, equating it with inner peace or a personal relationship with God. But when Jesus, he had talked about the coming kingdom to, a, to Jewish people, Right, and again, this is he's there around him at this time. There's a crowd that's following him, and man, he's there with them. And again, these Jewish people, they had been looking for a place to call home. Remember, I mean, they had literally not had a place for home that they called home for hundreds of years, and now they're under Roman law. Right, and when Jesus he talks about this coming kingdom, and he he's talking about that future kingdom that's going to come, right, a place that's going to be filled with peace. Right? There's not going to be injustice. Hunger's going to be taken care of. Right? And, and by the way, that's still to come. All right? That future kingdom is still to come on earth. See, if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, people are going to see that he's not serious about the coming physical kingdom and he's not truly the Messiah. But if Jesus says, no, don't pay the tax, he'll be attacked by the Roman authorities. So in the political climate of that time with tensions rising, they're asking something deeper. They're asking a very tough question. Are you a zealot Jesus leading a revolt against Rome? Or do you line up with the Herodians and support the head tax? You see, either way, it's like Jesus, he seems to be in trouble. It's like Jesus is in a corner, regardless if he answers yes or no. Right? There's no way out of it, essentially. They think they've got him cornered. Hey, if you, he says yes, he's just a Roman puppet on a string. But if he says no, he's a rebel against the powers that be and that God has allowed to be there. It's interesting because when politicians are asked a hot button question, what typically happens, right? They, they, yeah, they dodge them, right? That's what they do, right? And if you remember from the debates, actually, let's forget the first one, okay? That was just a couple old guys fighting, okay? Uh, but I remember even in the second debate, I remember watching it and thinking, and, and thinking, Really, for both candidates, I wish you guys would just say it. Say where you stand. Don't dodge the question. But sadly, many politicians, they do that. But it's interesting. Were Jesus' questioners maybe upset like I was or like maybe you guys have been? Were Jesus' questioners, were they frustrated with Jesus' response? Actually, no. They were, the Bible says, they were amazed how Jesus answers this question. Jesus, he doesn't just give them a non-answer like some think. He gives a practical answer. Jesus, he rejects three political reactions that we see today, and he avoids all three. Those three are political simplicity, political apathy, and political superiority. Notice what it says in Matthew 22, 18 to 21. Uh, perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, what are you or why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar said, or uh, I'm sorry, he said, they said Caesar's. They said to him. Then he said to them, give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. See, Jesus, he first rejects political simplicity. He rejects the answer that it was a simple yes or a simple no. 
He rejects what the Herodians said and he rejects what the Pharisees said. See, we have to put politics through the Bible. Right? We have to put how we view politics, how we view our culture through the book that has not changed, the book that is authentic, and the book that we as believers build our life on. It is literally the reason or it is literally how we find out that we have new life in Jesus. And so it should be the thing that we build that foundation on with, with, with any political issue, with really anything in life. See, a biblical worldview, it is not a prerequisite to be saved, but it is a byproduct of being saved. After we, we get saved, this should be the foundation, again, that we, we, we build everything on, every truth, Right, every reality, every, every, uh, every way that we see politics, how we see presidents, how we see our culture, how we see our country, it's how we see every moral issue that we're faced with in our day. We look at these issues, again, through the word of God because it is the standard, again, of perfection. Right? It's not changed. And it is God's message of forgiveness for us and has drastically changed everyone's life to put everyone's life who has put their faith in him. See, just going red or just going blue is not the answer. God's word is the answer. They asked Jesus for his political position on this controversial tax. They tried to force Jesus in a box to get him to answer yes or no. But he doesn't give them a simple yes or no. He doesn't dodge the question. He rejects political simplicity. So what does Jesus do? It's interesting. He asked for denarius, right? He asked for that coin. And now it was a, just so we know this, denarius was a dime-sized silver coin, and it was equal to a day's wage. So in a year, you would get 365 of them, typically. The denarius, it was minted during, the several, reign, during several reigns, but the one that Jesus holds up, it would have had uh, Caesar Tiberius' image on it. It wasn't just the image that was offensive, Jesus mentions the inscription and notice what it says. Tiberius Caesar, son of the god Augustus. And on the backside it said Pontifus Maximus, which means high priest. So Jesus, he holds up a coin with the inscription that says king, son of God, and high priest. You see, can't, we can't be fooled to think the answer is in a political party. We cannot be fooled to think that the answer is is in Democrat, Republican. The answer is in Jesus. It's not in Biden or Trump. It's in Jesus. See, the biggest issue that we're faced with in our culture, just to give an example, it's biblical worldview. The biggest issue we're faced with in our culture, and I believe Pastor Harold mentioned this last week, and the importance of, of, of standing against it, is abortion. See, it's such a huge moral issue that we need not to be tied to a specific party. But again, we need to build a what does the Bible say about supporting life, regardless of what party it is that supports it. If it's Republican that supports life, if it's Democrat that supports life, I would have to say you have to stand on what the Bible teaches about life. Second thing that Jesus, he rejected, I'm not gonna hit on this because I know Pastor Harold talked about it last week, but was political apathy. As believers, we need to put action behind our faith. Express our position, again, in life, but also in voting. 
See, we can't stay in the shadows. We have to be the light. And really, now more than ever, we have the opportunity again to stand for what the Bible teaches. It's important. This election, again, it is so important. We may feel like we don't really, we're one voice, and man, we don't really make a difference in our world, and our one vote isn't going to matter. It's totally false. See, we have to stand for truth, what the Bible teaches. And the last thing that Jesus, he rejects, is political superiority. I think that we get this, that politicians have a reputation of being dishonest at times, right? We get that? Like, we get that, right? Okay, all right. Political parties, they make promises, and they always keep them, right? No, not how it works, right? Okay. See, it's because they're humans, right? We're flawed. We're messed up. See, we have to hope in God, not in politics. Political superiority is thinking the primary answer to the world's problems, whether it's, I didn't want to say this day, but whether it's coronavirus, right, injustice, hunger, taking care of the homeless, whatever it might be, they think political superiority is the thinking that the primary answer to those problems is in political party. But Jesus' answer, he rejects the political superiority. When he asks, hey, whose image and whose inscription is on this coin? They say Caesar's. He basically says this, give to Caesar, right, what has Caesar's image on it, and give to God what has God's image on it. Now, I want you to think about this. I'm sure as these were Jewish people that had, they knew, man, they, they knew those first five books of the Bible. They're called the Pentateuch, right? They knew those like the back of their hand. And so it's interesting that Jesus, in front of all these Jewish people, that he would use this illustration. He would talk about, hey, what has Caesar's image on it? Yeah, give it to him. But what has God's image on it? Give it to him. And I say that because if you go back to Genesis 1.26, the Bible tells us, which would be one of the, it is the first book of the Bible, so it's in the Pentateuch. But it says that we as humans are made in God's what? image. We're made in God's image. And so when Jesus, he lifts that coin up, he says, hey, yeah, give to Caesar some of what he wants. Give him the tax, but give to God what's God's. And I'm sure as they sat in that crowd, as Jesus is talking about this, they probably, man, they probably started to think about that verse in Genesis 126. We're made in God's image. So, okay, I give the tax to Caesar but I give my life to God. And I'm sure they looked around and, and maybe it started to click with them that, man, hey, we as humans, we are made unique. We're different from all other creation. The fact that we were made with God's identity, we have his image on us. And Jesus says, don't give that allegiance to Caesar. Give that allegiance to God, right? Give your life to God. Give your worship to God, not to Caesar, Give him some of what he wants, but don't give him everything he wants. You can't accept his final authority. Jesus says there's an authority that's over Caesar, right, being God. Over the past couple months, Justin, in my, you know, this, with my Facebook, Instagram, different social media platforms, I've noticed this now more than ever, right? There are a ton of people who are Christians that post their allegiance to a certain political party. Now, I'm not going to say that's bad. And they, they post the reasons. Maybe it's because of some things we talked about. That's great. 
I love that. That's awesome. But sadly, many Christians that are posting that rarely post about the only thing that's going to matter 10,000 years from now, and that's where they will spend eternity and how other people can get there. You see, the question I just want to challenge everyone with this is, man, are you more passionate about getting people on board politically, or are you more passionate about getting people on board for eternity? I think that's so important, right? That's a huge, huge thing. See, the answer, it's not in the party, right? The answer is in Jesus Christ. So what's the response? There's a personal response. Matthew 22, 22 says this. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and they went away. Again, man, they were amazed. Jesus doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He leaves them amazed. Jesus, he turns really all the different ways that we tend to engage in politics, he turns them on our heads. He turns that, the whole way they viewed it then on their heads. He taught, don't accept the system and don't flat out rebel against it and don't completely withdraw from it. Jesus taught the real problem is primarily within the human heart. And I think that we, we understand that this morning. And if he, he offered us, man, the only way that we can fix the human heart later on in that week, again, it's Tuesday, just in a few short days, he's going to be crucified, right, where he would be, he would be beaten, he would be rejected, he would have a crown of thorns placed on his head, and he would die for our sin. See, the truth is, if we can't fix our world, the truth is that we can't fix our world through politics. And we have to get this too. No matter who wins on Tuesday, I mean, it's crazy to think that it's here on Tuesday, but we have to understand this. No matter who wins, God is still in control. We get that, right? Like Biden, Trump, doesn't matter. God is still in control. See, the world is messed up because each of us, I think we get this, we have evil within our hearts, right? That's the thing that's broken is the human heart. God, he actually, he revealed a standard of what was right and what was wrong being the Ten Commandments, right? He, he gave us the Ten Commandments. A lot of people think, hey, you know, he gave us Ten Commandments so we could follow those and so we could have a relationship with God. Totally false, right? The Ten Commandments were given to show us what? That we can't keep them. We cannot be perfect. To show us our sin, to show us that we failed, right? Some of those are, well, don't covet, right? <clears throat> don't ever lie, don't steal, don't murder. And then Jesus took it a step further, in the New Testament, he said, hey, even if you hate someone in your heart, it's the same as murdering. All right, don't commit adultery, which includes lust. All right, honor your parents. Remember God's, remember the Lord's day. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Never take God's name in vain. And always keep God first in your life. I think if all of us were honest, I know I'm gonna say this first, I'm guilty of, of most, if not all of those, and I think we would all have to agree to that. And if we only broke one and we're truly seeking justice, then it's necessary for us to pay for our wrongs. But the great thing about it is this, the great thing about the gospel is that we don't have to pay for our wrongs, right? Jesus paid for them. But we have to have, again, to truly have forgiveness and to trust in Jesus, man, we have to have, we have to put our faith in him today. 
for forgiveness to be credited in our account, we have to believe that what Jesus did on the cross, how he died for our sins, we have to believe that that fully covers our sin. That Jesus, he died in our place. His blood was shed so we could be forgiven and have a personal relationship with him. And if your faith, if it's real, man, you're going to want to know him and you're going to want to desire to follow him. And that includes in hot button issues in our culture. And if you're truly a follower, man, it should be evidence even when it's just you and that ballot, right, in the box this Tuesday. What will you choose to stand for? See, think about this. With all the political division and separation right now, Right, and the attacks from both sides that are, being, that are happening. I just want you to think about this. Just think about the disciples for a second and the political division before they came to Jesus. Think about this. The man who, who authored or wrote Matthew, right? Matthew the tax collector, as he's known. He was a Herodian. I mean, think about it. He was the guy that went into a Jewish town and demanded Taxes, and he made his money based off of that working for the Roman Empire. Then you have another whose name was Simon Peter, right? And he was a zealot. And I think that even like, you know, after he's a follower of Jesus, he kind of shows that out. If you remember when they were taking Jesus in the garden, he cuts off, you know, the Roman emperor's ear, right? I mean, the, the Roman uh, guard's ear. I mean, you, you see that in that. Others align with the Pharisees. And others line with a, a group of people called the Essenes, who were essentially a group of people that just didn't want to get involved politically. But it's interesting. They all left the political party behind. And what did they do? They left that behind and they followed Jesus. Because they knew this. They come to face to face with their sin and they knew that Jesus was the only answer. They discovered only Jesus can heal the human heart. Why? The answer is not in a political party. The answer is in Jesus. And I want to say this real quick. Right? I'm glad there are going to be no political parties in heaven. Right? It's just for, that's right. It's just forgiven people. So my challenge to you today is this. As David's coming up to close out in her song, my challenge to you is this. Join Jesus. Don't join red team or blue team, right? Join Jesus. What does the Bible say on these issues that we've talked about? Right? Pastor Harold did a phenomenal job supporting those last week with the Bible. Man, vote based on what the Bible teaches. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus today. You've never made that decision. And so all this is, is new to you. Man, I challenge you again, make Jesus your God. Right? Are you choosing today to trust in God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for letting us dig into your word this morning.